The human body has been extensively studied by health professionals, physiologists, anatomists, surgeons, and other medical professionals. The human form is composed of many different types of cells that together create tissues and subsequently organs. The immune system protects the body's tissues, cells, and organs from dangerous pathogens. Scientific textbooks depict a fully mapped and understood human body. However, some say the human body is fundamentally misunderstood by a scientific and medical establishment with sinister motivations. That the scientific textbooks need revising, our understanding of the human body needs a complete reform, reform and that true healing can only take place once humanity is aware of this knowledge. Here to discuss these issues with me is Dr. Tom Cowan. Cowan attended medical school in his home state of Michigan at the Michigan State College of Human Medicine. After graduating in 1984, he did an internship in family practice in Johnson City, New York. Thomas Cowan attended Duke University. Cowan attended Duke University, graduating in 1977 with a summer cum degree in biology. From 1985 until 2019, Dr. Cowan had a general medical practice, first in upstate New York, then for 17 years in Peterborough, NH, and for 17 years in San Francisco until his recent retirement from active practice. He formerly served as vice president of the Physicians Association for Anthroposophical Medicine. Dr. Cowan has given countless lectures and workshops throughout America on a variety of subjects in health and medicine. He's the author of six books, five of which have spent time on the Amazon Annual Barnes and Noble's bestseller lists, and each were ranked number one in their respective categories, often for many months. These books include Human Heart, Cosmic Heart, Vaccines, Autoimmunity, and the Changing Nature of Childhood Illness, and most relevant to current events, The Contagion Myth. It's great to talk to you again, Tom. And I'm going to start this interview um, maybe in a way people wouldn't expect. I'm not going to talk about the body straight away. I want to start with talking about what it is that makes people not question and what it is that makes people believe the narratives that they're sold about the body and health. And for me, it all goes back to the education, the school system. And I know that you talk about education and for me, I see the school system as an indoctrination machine and a, a means of training kids, the adults of the future, to obey and believe authority and without question for their entire lives. And what are your thoughts on the school system? Because the way I see it, the manipulation of humanity starts there. One of the things I admire most, actually, about your approach to understanding the body, health and what we call sickness is that you have the motto of question everything and it seems to be that the school system is there to encourage children to question nothing and the reason I want to start the interview here is because that's the start of everything for me if that makes sense yeah everything starts there well I mean the question of why people don't question more than they do is obviously complicated. Uh, but I would say that the main reason, or maybe one of the main reasons, is that 
we we have a essentially a social system and and as far as i can tell humans have always organized themselves into social systems like tribes or cultures or communities etc and the social system or the tribe that we have now essentially tells people to be a member in good standing in the tribe you have to believe certain things it's like we have a common understanding and if you don't believe those things you get ostracized from the tribe and you're going to go out in the wilderness and then a lion or a bear is going to eat you and so people's natural reaction to that is to say I have a lot to lose and probably not much to gain from questioning what the tribe believes. And so I'm just going to not question it because it's it in some ways it's a rational decision uh, because they understand on some very deep and fundamental level that questioning the dominant narrative of a lot of things is going to get them kicked out of the tribe, and then all kinds of bad things might happen. Yeah. Now, in return for that, what I would call capitulation, because some of the things people know just aren't true, or they have a sense that they aren't true. But So they have to essentially kill a part of their soul or a part of their being, maybe, I don't know if it's a soul really, but uh, that allows themselves to agree to things which they, on some level, know not to be true. Now, to your point, this process of, you know, I call it becoming under a spell, or it's, it's really like joining a cult, is because that's what cults do, is they humiliate people. They, they separate you from your family and friends and even your money. And then the only thing you have left is membership in this cult. And then the humiliation and the abuse gets worse. But the people feel like they have no choice. They, of course, do have a choice. But they feel like the consequences of speaking out against things they, they feel and know are wrong they just it's too high a cost that process starts in what we call school yeah. and i would say school has nothing to do with education it has only to do with indoctrination which of course doesn't mean you know people sometimes hear me say that like i actually think the schools are very successful uh, the, but the reason they're successful is because they define success as being indoctrinated. And they've been at it for a long time, and they're very good at it. And the consequence of not being indoctrinated and getting more and more school is you become, quote, a loser, right? Right. You're only fit to collect garbage. Even in New York City, apparently you need a high school diploma to be a garbage collector which is odd because as far as I know, collecting garbage has no, no relation with doing calculus or reading Shakespeare. Maybe it does, but uh, I don't know. I can't see it really. Um, so 
you know, that is the indoctrination system. And once, you know, children are eight or six or seven, they believe all kinds of stuff, which would take a lifetime for them to undo. And most people don't want to do that. So that's why we're in the situation we're in now. It's interesting you mentioned the word cult. I mean, the word cult is in the word culture. And when you look at the dominant um, narrative or the dominant shape of the cult, of the culture of any country at any time, it is like a cult. It, it's the, it's the, how do you how do I say? It? It's the, the culture that most people at that time ascribe to. Yes. Yeah, and it has all kind of rules and beliefs and, you know, guidelines and, and it, it is difficult to live in a culture and not believe what the culture believes. Yeah. So for instance, you know, very practical, you may have to get different food. So if the culture believes that, you know, eating plastic food or GMO food or whatever food is, that's the best. They set up a system to make that the easiest, obviously. Yes. And so then if you don't want to eat that food, you have to grow it yourself or get it from a friend or something like that. Now, it turns out that that has a lot of rewards. But in the beginning, or if you're not used to it, you may have trouble doing that because you don't know how to do it. And you don't have the money to do it. And you don't know where to go and all these things. So... Some of us have organized ourselves. So for me, it would be more difficult to eat normal food, you know, normal American food. Because like I'm not used to it. I don't know where to get it. And I've never, I've been in a supermarket in 20 years, I think. So, and, and I, I, I have a system of growing my own food. And that's just easy for me because I just go outside my door and that's what I eat. Now, if I didn't have that, it would be more difficult. Now, it's not insurmountable, right? You know, people can figure that out, but uh, a lot of people don't want to. One of the things that they do, uh, I say they, I mean, the cult, the global elite, whatever you want to call them, the cult with capital C. Um, one of the things they do is a technique that I've heard referred to is the catch you every which way technique, which is kind of what you're talking about, which is you try to operate outside of the system but they find a way to catch them again one of the ways they've done this is homeschooling because homeschooling originally was parents taught you and they taught you whatever they wanted to teach you and you kind of had an independence there from the curriculum what they've done now is because there's been a rise in homeschooling i think since the 90s is they have made it school at home they moved it online yeah. And so you go online and the curriculum's already there and it's just the state's curriculum. So it looks like homeschooling, but it's actually school at home. And uh, I think, um, you know, it's, it's the same with uh, with food. You know, they um, people start to want to grow their own food and then corporations like Monsanto moved in and made it difficult that, you know, they have what they call terminator seeds. And if it if they end up on your farm or your lot where you're growing then they can claim ownership of that food and basically make it harder for you that's what they do to everything whenever you try to operate outside the system yeah yeah i mean with school 
you know, I, I, in a funny sort of way, I don't support homeschooling or even unschooling, uh, because anything that's, whatever it is, school, I don't, I don't like. Uh, I don't see why there's any need for any kind of school, any, any sort of school. People learn by participating in life, right? The way I learned how to grow vegetables, I didn't go to any school. I tried it, and then I maybe asked, you know, my friend, like, how do you grow carrots? Well, you do like this. Yeah. Or maybe I read a book, you know, a guy said, well, you know, mix it with sand or something, you know. Yeah. And, and then that didn't work, so I didn't do that again. And then I tried it with this, and then I figured out how to make it work. And everything that's of any value that I know of, I, that's how I came to understand it. And I don't think I'm the only one. And so I don't think there's any difference really between children. Uh, they just are better at doing this. And so you, you follow law, you, you present them with life, right? You don't put them in a cage. You, right. you know, there's a field and a tree and a cat and a, you know, a sheep and a garden and, and a liar or whatever. And then they decide they want to learn to play the liar. And then they'll say, well, how do you do it? You say, you go like this. Yeah. And then they say, no, you go like this. And then they try it and they figure out which way is best. I, I don't see where that, what part of that should be called school. That's called the way that human beings interact. Yeah. I think um, one example of my life is when I was a kid, I would always be out playing with my mates and we'd always like, you know, school holidays were just nonstop. But even in, even in um, after school, we'd all be out playing. And, and one of the things I saw was the difference between what we did and what some other kids did. Either they would be just standing around outside the house doing nothing or on, on their things or they, you know, Things later on, no things when we started, but uh, or they would be doing things kids shouldn't be doing, like drugs and, and other things and and drinking, underage drinking, and so I didn't need someone to tell me not to do that because I could see for myself the difference between how happy I was doing what we were doing and yeah the other kids. So that's what you're saying. You don't. I didn't need to be in school, or I didn't need my parents to tell me don't do that. I could see it from experience. Yeah, I've learned from experience. You know, the other thing is, you know, I spent a lot of time watching children interact. And by and large, children don't try to teach other children. If, if, right. they, if they do, then they get ostracized for being a, a jerk, basically. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't know if you've seen that, but they don't teach other children. They, they will say, I build my fort like this, or they'll say to put this stick this way, not that way. Yeah. But if they said to you, you know, Daniel, here's the proper way to build a fort. Yeah. <laughs> you just don't listen. They, yeah. they don't do that. They know better than to do that. Yeah. And, you know, so their their interaction is a bunch of people figuring stuff out that they're interested in. Yeah. And either they succeed or they don't. And 
I'm, I'm not against if they can't succeed and they say to some other person, do you know how to build forts? Yes. Show me. Okay, well, you show them how to build a fort. That doesn't mean they have to do it like that. You don't give them a test. Yeah. But, you know, it's okay to get input from people who know more about something. Like, I do that all the time. You know, I'll ask somebody who knows more about virology or something. What, what, what is this about? And they'll tell me. Doesn't mean it's right, but I think about it. Yeah. Um, so if we take the approach of questioning everything and apply that to the understanding of the human body, I think it makes sense if we're going to talk about health in the body that or anyone is, that we start with a basic understanding of the human form itself. How do you understand the human body in terms of its composition? And this then plays into your research into water and structured water in the human body. Basically, the the very kind of basic essence of what being a human body is, in your understanding. Yeah. I mean, you know, I've gone through this a few times before, but I, when I ask people, so what is a human being or a man or a woman made of? Yeah. yeah. Uh, they usually give me answers like, well, cells or light or love or DNA or a lot of things. Yeah. And I'm not saying those are not true, but that's to me not the place to start. So I start by saying human being is made of hair and head and eyes and ears and nose, mouth, arms, feet, you know, torso, all that stuff. Yeah. Uh, now, how do I know that? That's the question. Well, every human being that I've ever seen has all those things. Now, I know somebody might say, well, I've met somebody who doesn't have an arm, you know, and so... That, that I'm wrong, but that's, you know, that, that's a kind of an exception. And so I, I don't know if you've had that experience, but probably yes, everybody you've met has all those stuff, things. Now, the other thing I do is I go to, you know, Chinese medicine and Ayurvedic medicine and Native American medicine. Do they agree that every, that human beings have heads and arms and legs? And as far as I can tell, yes. So I think there's universal agreement that um, that's what a human being is. Okay, so now we go deeper. What's underneath, say, your chest? And I would say that we have organs, like a heart and a lung and kidneys and liver and spleen and blood vessels and uh, nerves and arteries and all that stuff. Now, question is, how do I know that? Number one, uh, you can kind of feel it, like you can feel there's something in there like a heart and you can feel here is your liver, and that is certain sort of evidence. The other thing is I've seen, you know, having been an ER doctor, I've seen people who are living who are injured, right, you know, like knife wounds or bullets or something, and I've seen their heart in there. I've seen their liver. I've seen it during surgery. And I've also seen it on ultrasounds and x-rays and CT scans and MRIs. And also all those people, Chinese medicine, Ayurvedic, all that, 
They all thought they were organs. As a matter of fact, they put a big stock in their organs. Like your problem is the flow through your liver is weak or too strong or congested or something. And I think all that is pretty good evidence that we have organs in our body. Uh, now, you could say, well, how do you know that getting shot by a bullet doesn't create the formation of the liver as a result of being shot? And now, yeah, yeah. that seems like a stupid question, but it's an interesting question because you have to, you have to know that the process of being shot doesn't make a liver form if you don't know that the liver's there in nobody who's not shot, right? That, that, so I think there's enough other evidence like a CT scan or an ultrasound that shows that the same thing is there before you got shot or, you know, bayoneted as after to say that with confidence it didn't form as a result of being shot. Yeah. yeah. But it's a good question, or at least it's a possible question. Now, if you keep going further, let's say you take your liver. So what is a liver made of? Most people would say a liver is made of cells. And then I say, how do you know a liver is made of cells? Well, I can see them in a microscope. So how did you get the microscope picture or image? Well, I took, uh, I took a needle and I stuck it in somebody's liver or a person's dead. Yeah. And I, took out the piece of the liver, and then I cut it up into little pieces, and then I put a bunch of dyes and stains on it, and then I looked at it under a high-powered uh, microscope, and I saw these compartments, which are called cells. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Now, I asked them, have you ever seen those cells in, in a living liver intact? Right? without cutting it and dyeing it and staining it. Yeah. And the answer is no. Nobody's ever seen that. Now, it could be because we don't have the ability to see it, right? So it could be a yeah. trick. Like, we just don't have a microscope that we can stick in somebody and see cells. Yeah. But you have to wonder, because there is precedent, we know that if you – you know, threatened bacteria, they form spores that look like cells that weren't there unless you threaten them. Yeah. So it could be that in a normal liver, we don't actually have cells, and it's the process of threatening them or killing them or staining them or dying them or beaming them that actually creates the cells. Now, I'm not saying that's true, but... I'm saying if you want to do science, you better fit, you better account for those variables. Why why would um, the liver or the heart, whatever organ it is, create cells when it's threatened? Uh, it may be just a protective response. But you could flip the up that question the other way. Why would a heart or a liver break itself up into little compartments? which would make communication and the flow in the liver much more difficult. Like, why would it do that? Yeah, it's a good question. And so, you know, the guy who's looked into this the most is a guy named Harold Hillman, 
He's a British biologist. And he came to the conclusion that uh, there's 180, some 89, I think, different tissues or organs in, the, in a human being. And 44 of them, for sure, have no cells. They're what we call syncytium, like the lens of your eye. There's no reason why you would make the lens of your eye break it up into cells, because then you'd look out and you'd see these little boxes. Yeah, yeah. That would be stupid. So everybody agrees. Like an ant's eye. What? Like an ant's eye. Yeah. Yeah. There's no cells in a a lens of an eye, and there's 44 other tissues like that. The other 140-some, we don't know. Uh, And it's very difficult to know because... It's hard to control all those steps. Like, what is, does dying create compartments? Yeah. Now, again, I'm not saying that's true, but I'm saying that, um, we, that if you're going to do science, real science, you have to know for sure. And by doing some method of accounting for that process. Now, when you get all said and done, and then you look deeper into it, all the things which we say are part of this cell. By the way, no other system of medicine, Chinese medicine, Ayurvedic, etc., ever said there were cells. But you could argue that that was because they didn't have... The they didn't have the microscopy. ...that would make them think there were cells. Right. They, that's possible. I agree. But the, the whole idea came in about 1859 with a guy named Rudolf Virchow, who said there were cells. And he had very little evidence to support, except he could see onion cells under a microscope. Uh, and that, out from that, he surmised that humans were made of cells, which, you know, that isn't necessarily true. Um, so... From then we go into things that are in the cell, like ribosomes and nuclei and DNA and and synapses and nerves and receptors on membranes and all that. And essentially none of those can be seen except with very difficult and destructive techniques. And many of them can only be seen with an electron microscope which involves freezing and drying and staining, and, and, and it's, it's completely an artifact. Like you take a nerve, and it looks intact. Yeah. And then you f- dry it and freeze it, and it breaks apart. And then you say there's a gap called a synapse. And the synapse wasn't there until you did that. And so he concluded that there are no synapses, there's no ribosomes, there's no any of this stuff. There's no Golgi apparatus, endoplasmic reticulum, lipid bilayer cell membrane, receptors on cell membrane. All those are artifacts. And all we have are are either tissues with no compartments or possibly compartments that have water, mitochondria, a cell, a very thin membrane and a nucleus. And that's all we can prove exists. In which case, the entire basis of life is in the crystalline structured water that makes up our 
either tissues and or cells. And so when people say, why do I focus so much on water? Because that's the system that we're working with. We are organized water that has stuff in it, like proteins and fats and minerals, and all that acts as a like a, a receiver, like a radio receiver for outside signals from the sun and the moon and the earth and thoughts and feelings and vibrations and sound and light. It collects those. It turns them into living substance like proteins. And that's essentially all there is to it. And this other stuff is a bunch of artifactual nonsense. We do have certain cells, don't we, like fat cells and... Another, there are certain types of cells that we do know exist. Or more like what? Like fat cells and, and, and in a living person. Well, I, don't, I mean, from my understanding, anyway. I mean, maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, but, but you, that's the thing. You have to say, have you ever seen a fat cell in a fat person? <laughs> no, I haven't. No. So how do you know that removing the fat from a fat person? doesn't create compartments, especially when you stain it and dye it with harsh chemicals uh, in order to see them. Yeah, yeah that's a good question. Right, because I know the answer is you don't know. No. <laughs> and that's fine. You know, I don't know either. Uh, and there could be. I'm not saying I'm proving that there isn't. But I don't see that model doesn't help you. Do we not have brain cells? I don't. Have you ever seen them in a, a living brain? Yeah. Well, yeah, it's the same question each time, isn't it? I guess. Yeah, we have a brain because you can see that. Yeah. Uh, in a living person, and it does things. In fact, interestingly, the brain has somewhere around ten percent more water per volume, you know, per area than anywhere else. So it's the, it's the one of the best, if not the best receivers, because the water is like a radio. And people who think that the sound comes from a radio, right? I'm going to, so you have a radio, right? And it makes music. Yeah. And you say, I'm going to find out where the sound comes from. So you dissect the radio. <laughs> you're looking for the sound, right? Yeah. yeah. And you don't see it. No. And you can look. You can cut it up into single molecules, and you will never see the origin of the sound. Now, it's true you need a working radio to create sound. So you need a working water system to create life. But the life doesn't come from the water, it, the, the, nor does the sound come from the radio. It comes from outside. And that's why we can't figure out where consciousness or life or thoughts come from, because we just keep looking in the brain. Yeah. It's not there. What about um, how does blood work then? If, if we don't have blood cells, and you, you could ask me the same question about them. How does blood work then? If, if we don't. So have we do have these uh, red blood cells. Okay. But I would say they're misnamed as cells. Uh, because a cell is, is defined as a replicating entity with a nucleus and a mitochondria. That's the definition. 
Right. And a red blood cell doesn't have a nucleus. It doesn't have mitochondria. It's a oxygen delivery vesicle. Okay. It's named as a cell. So I didn't say that we don't have little round things that have membranes. Right? That's yeah. different. Yeah. Uh, but there's no way it's it's a cell in any definition of what we call a cell. So how does, if we take this understanding of the water uh, model that you're talking about, um, I know that, um, I forget who it is, that you interviewed, Hugh, um, has taken pictures of uh, water. She said something or she's written something and the water has formed that picture. Right. Veda, yeah. Veda, Austin, yeah. Um, so... I guess that is basically what you're saying, that that the water is being given the instruction to create a human body, and and, and that's what it's done. Right. No no DNA, no codes needed. The information is is the code, and the water is the translator of the information into living substance. And what that does... What that does for people is it defines why we get sick. So we get sick because either you're not have the right information or the water is not able to process it into a proper living structure. And, and every other medical system, Ayurvedic, Chinese, fasting, Gerson diet has essentially gone about purifying the water through fasting, through sweating, sweat lodges, saunas, change your diet, change your thoughts, take this detox thing. Every single form of medicine until modern conventional medicine has been purifying your water, as has every religious tradition. They're all about purifying your living water so that you become more healthy and more spiritually aware, so to speak. And so it immediately tells you how we get sick and how to heal. You get sick because you've got, you know, funky water, or you're exposed to, uh, you know, abnormal inputs. Toxins. Yeah. You put, you know, think of water, this... Crystalline water like Jello. So somebody put poison grapes in your Jello, and so you get it out. And the way you get it out is you melt the Jello. That's called a fever, and then you make it into mucus. That's called snot, and then you cough it out, and then you heal. And as as long as we don't understand the system, we think that you have a sickness. You don't have a sickness. You have a faulty, you know, mechanism because you put poisons in or somebody poisoned you or you didn't have the right inputs because you looked at screens all day instead of being out in the sun and playing in the fields. The the sickness is the healing, in other words. Yes. The sickness is the resolution. This, this, the sickness is either... You didn't organize your water properly. You don't have enough proteins. You don't have enough fats. 
or your water is toxic or your thoughts are toxic, whatever. Yeah. And then the input is faulty because it's not real, you know, life input, which yeah. is animals and plants and soil and sun and moon. Instead, it's man-made computer, you know, electronics. Yeah. That's substituting for what we call life. And then you make bad proteins, make you sick. So I guess applying that to what is commonly believed to be the what is known as the immune system. And I know you say that we don't have one. So um, how does the body heal itself then? And you kind of basically answered it just then with this water model that you're talking about. How does that? Operate. If, if you, you make, if, if, imagine you have a, you're supposed to be a diamond, but you make a lump of, of, of carbon, coal, right. Right. and you have to get those, that impurities out. So you heat it up and sweat it out or cough it out or mucus it out yeah. or diarrhea it out or puke it out. And that's how we heal. And that's the same strategy as every natural healing system for ever since there have been people. I guess it, um, this model basically invalidates the need for things like vaccines and ways to boost the immune system, because if there isn't one, you can't boost it and you can't use it to protect you because you're just putting it, toxins into the body, which is what will cause sickness rather than protecting you from sickness. They they made up the concept of the immune system to uh, convince you that you are being attacked by <laughs> by viruses. Yeah. yeah, it's it's completely make believe. There's no need for anything called an immune system. There is a detoxification and you know elimination channels. That's a better word for it. And anytime you're putting you know, metal poisons and all kinds of, you know, graphene or whatever is in these injections. That's just, you know, making more toxicity and, you know, screwing up your water. So there's no need for that. It does it. And it all comes about once you understand the system, which is there is no receptors on cell membranes, ACE2 receptors. Yeah. That's just make-believe. Talking of the, what the body is and how it really works, one of the most, I guess, controversial claims of yours, and you're known for that, is that the heart is not a pump. And I've seen you explain this before, and I've read some of your book, Human Heart, Cosmic Heart, which is a very uh, fascinating book. Uh, and you provide very scientific, technical, detailed explanations. But can you explain why the heart is not a pump in a, a very kind of very simple way and why it's important for us to know that it's not a pump. So if you look at the system, you have heart and then you have arteries coming off and then you have capillaries and then you have veins. You, so it's going the fastest, the speed at the heart before it enters the heart in the, in the vein, in the, you know, the, big vein, and then in the aortic arch as it exits. 
So that's where the blood is moving the fastest, entering and exiting. And then it slows down and stops at the capillaries because it has to offload gases and pick up waste products, right? So that's like being on a bus from Los Angeles to New York, and the bus stops in St. Louis, halfway there, right? Right. I can tell you, unless there's an engine in the bus, I'm not getting on that bus if I have to get to New York. Right. Because the pump has to be in St. Louis. That's where you stopped. Right? Yeah, yeah. So it's not at the heart because it's already going fastest there. So it stops, and no farmer would put a pump at the bottom of the hill I mean, we put a pump at the top of the hill to pump down and then no, then have it stop in a pond and have it get back up to the top. They put the pump at the pond, which is where your tissues and capillaries are. So that's, we know that's got to be where the pump is, not the heart. And the other thing, if you look at the aortic arch, which is the outflow tube of the heart, it's shaped like an arch, which is why they call it the aortic arch, yeah. like a McDonald's arch, right? Yeah. Like this. Yeah. Now, imagine you have a spigot outside your house, right, with water. What's a spigot? A spigot is a, is a, it's a thing you turn the water on, at the, you know, off um, and on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A tap. Yeah, a tap. Yeah, yeah. A tap. yeah. You have a tap. And then you have a flexible hose coming out of the tap, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you turn the tap off, and the hose is like an arch. Got it? Yeah. Now you turn it on full blast, because we're going to pump all the way around, you know, thousands of miles of vessels. Sticky blood that's about the stuff the same diameter as the vessel, Right. And we're going to push this all the way around thousands of miles. So that's a big push. So what's going to happen to this arch if you go turn it on full blast? And it's that's resting, no water going through it. And then you attach it to a hose here, a spigot, yeah. tap. Turn on the tap full blast. What's going to happen to it? It'll straighten. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, don't agree if you don't agree, but that's no. what. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, you, you put something. The water goes through it. It makes the hose straighten. So the 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 pushing would be the pumping would be systole, right? Pump the blood, right? Relax. Now, yeah. interestingly, yeah. Yeah. so pump the blood, relax. Pump the blood, relax. That's what you should see. Here's what you do see. Pump the blood, bends in. Relax, bends out. That makes no sense. You can't possibly be push fluid like blood or water through a flexible hose and have it bend in and claim you were pushing. It's suctioning. And so there can't be a pump. It has to be a suction. And so the heart can't be pushing anything. It has to be a suction. 
Now, how is it a suction? Because the heart goes essentially like a bellows, and when it goes up, it sucks the blood. So the blood moves in the capillaries because when you structure water in a tube, it creates flow. Uh, that's a little complicated, but you can read about how you, I described that. So just because water in a tube creates separation of charges and the positive ions go in the middle and they repel and start flowing. And then there's a suction from above and that makes the water, the blood go faster and faster. And just like you see, it goes faster and faster. And then it comes to a tank, and the walls expand, right? Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. they're flexible, yeah. and that creates positive pressure on the incoming side and a vacuum on the other side, which then the gate opens, and the, wa- the blood passively flows out. There's no pushing of the walls, and that suction... Yeah pushes the aortic arch in, and it essentially falls down to the rest of the body. And the reason that's important is because once you know where the flow comes from, and the flow comes from the interaction of water with tubes and sunlight, essentially. And so if you have somebody with poor flow, like congestive heart failure, so the blood is essentially falling down, because it's heavier and it's not flowing, that's because they're not structuring their water and they need either better water or better tubes or sunlight. And once you realize that, you can actually, you know, cure people of congestive heart failure, not with siphoning off the water or any of that stuff, but by restoring flow. Once you restore the flow, then it doesn't fall down anymore. So I guess the reason that, well, there's two reasons. One, uh, conventional medicine medicine says that um, heart conditions that are supposed to be incurable is because they don't understand the heart in the first place. So how can you cure it? And secondly, they say everything is incurable. There's yes, not, yes, they can there's not a single, quote, disease that's actually curable except supposedly infections which heal on their own yeah they, they can only treat symptoms not right cause the problem it's um, because there's a fundamental flaw in how we see biology and science and that comes because they study living things as if they're dead <laughs> yeah and when you do that, you everything is a mistake. Um, I also want to talk about the DNA. You mentioned the DNA just now. Um, what is your understanding of what the DNA actually does in the body? In, in terms of this um, water model. Well, you know, all, I'm, all I can say right now is I'm in the process of trying to go back to the beginning and see how we decided there's DNA in the first place. Okay. Because it looks pretty shaky to me. Uh, I think there is some chemical called DNA. I don't think it's a double helix. Um, And I think that its function is to 
be a kind of antenna for the water. But that is a tentative conclusion, which I think in two months I'll know more. Okay. Um, interestingly, you, you have said about viruses that I don't want to talk about viruses today, but you have said about viruses that they are what are alleged to be viruses, exosomes and um, extracellular vesicles of all kinds, that they contain genetic material. And yep. so from from the human body or from whatever tissue it's from. So. I guess you, that genetic material would, would be called DNA or RNA. So would that not prove that it exists in the form that, that we believe in a sense, if you can open up these vesicles and find the material inside? I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to check that out and see whether that's true. Because I could have been wrong. And I've said, I, I've said over and over again, every single time I'm wrong, it's because I believed what I was told without actually knowing the evidence for whether it's true or not. Now, I don't know that I'm wrong. Uh, and there could be, there could be some part of that that's correct. But <laughs> right now, I'm not so sure. Okay. Uh, so, and it, it, it's going to involve, okay, you have these particles. How do I know these, this chemical called RNA or DNA is actually inside that little particle? How do I know it's not just in the mix? How do I know there isn't just some chemical, you know, floating around, just another kind of protein, essentially what it is? And that's what I'm tr- going to try to figure out. And it's not easy because you have to go all the way back to the who, what was the evidence in the beginning for uh, claiming that there was such a thing as DNA and that it was in the nucleus? And it's pretty shaky evidence, I can tell you. That's all I know right now. What I've observed about DNA is that uh, many people might not realize this, but DNA is being targeted constantly from various sources, be it food, um, as we understand DNA anyway, food, radiation, vaccines, etc. And the DNA, again, as we understand it, you might disagree, is an antenna which is supposed to be connecting with knowledge and frequencies and awareness beyond this reality, which is just uh, uh, an information source, a frequency itself. Just like, you know, we have frequency that we can hear, dogs can hear higher, we have a frequency of sight, which is what this universe is, reality is. And if you block that, if you distort that, if you mutate that, then you're stopping people accessing information and awareness that they would get normally if that DNA was in the intact as it should be, um, which is a brilliantly clever way to manipulate people if you control the information people receive from that when they're just in that isolated awareness. That may be true, but it may it may all be true, except it's not the DNA that does that. Okay. But it may be and the on, DNA. On what basis? Just like I said, when you go back to who discovered that it was DNA in the first place, okay. it, it looks pretty, pretty shaky. But that you could be right in just in, in how you laid that out. I've said similar things myself, but I'm open to the fact that I jumped the gun and I had not proved to myself that 
the the antenna structure was actually DNA. All I know right now is it might be and it might not be. So what is the antenna then? I don't know. Maybe it's just water. Can water be an antenna? I guess water can be an antenna. Yeah. That would make sense. Yeah. Um, I don't I don't know. We we keep we keep claiming things uh without <laughs> real I mean if if I asked you who who discovered the structure of DNA first? Do you know? It's Crick and Watson, wasn't it? No, they they co-opted a essentially research done by another laboratory. Okay. See, most people don't know that, and they don't know that it it was all hinged on a picture which was taken by X-ray crystallography of dried nucleus from some salamander or something. And they, in order to get the picture, they had to expose this dry DNA, this dry nucleus to continuous X-rays for 62 hours. Now think about it. If I exposed your nose to continuous x-ray for 62 hours, do you think it would in any way resemble your usual nose? Probably not, no. Right. And this is, we're talking about a, a strand of chemicals. Yeah. And so they get this picture, which they interpreted it as a double helix. And that's where the whole thing got started. Um, I guess, um, you know, a- anything to do with an antenna and uh, DNA receiving information would be, in your view, most likely it's the water. And that basically we are just a water kind of structure receiving and transmitting. Yeah, we're, a, we're an organized crystal. And I don't know. Again, I'll know more in a few months because I'm just really starting to figure out what what is real about this. Talking of genetics, um, uh, I said I wasn't going to mention viruses, but I do want to ask you um, that some people claim the COVID vaccine is inserting synthetic genetic material into the cells and, and body and that that could make the body partly synthetic. What are your thoughts on that? in relation to what we've been talking about with cells and genetics? I mean, the problem is we don't really know what is in those things. And the other problem is, you know, people say, well, they're putting RNA, messenger RNA, that's stabilized so that it makes you make a protein. But if I was going to say I know how to make um, pencils, and I have a new process of making pencils, and let's say I wanted an investor. I say, I figured out a new way to make pencils. He might say to me, so Tom, let me see the pencil. No, not to show you the pencil. (laughs) Well, let me see the process that it makes the pencil. No, not going to show you the process. Most likely the person would say, I don't think I'm going to invest with this guy because he's an idiot. Now, if you apply that, so let me see a thousand people. You inject them with this mRNA, and then they make X amount of protein, right? Right. Maybe it's dose-dependent. If you give them 
six times as much, they make six times. There's no study like that. Yeah. Why not? Wouldn't that be the first thing if you're going to make, if you're going to claim this makes protein? There should be hundreds of studies showing if you give them this much of this RNA, you make this protein. There's, as far as I know, there's none. So I don't even know if the whole thing actually works. Well, I know that there have, I think, uh, Dr. Byron Bidel came out, um, yeah, one months study ago and said which, that, that he's found that the spike protein goes all over the body. Yeah, right. But that's very questionable. One study, he says. Well, one study is enough, isn't it, if it proves that? No. Not, not if it's not clear the, when you look into it and it wasn't you know, published properly and all that stuff. So I'm not saying I know that it doesn't, but I don't know why there aren't hundreds of studies showing that it does. And that makes me very suspicious that this isn't what we're thought we, you know, that that technology doesn't work the way we're told it does. I want to talk about the future in the last few minutes that we have. Of the future uh, of medicine and healing, where we don't have a medical school but school system, as we talked about, never mind medical school, uh, a pharmaceutical industry, a um, uh, a World Health Organization that we do now dictating how health should be managed and approached uh, worldwide. We don't have government dictating health policy. My vision of the future, I'd be interested to see what you think of this, is people learn how to heal themselves through understanding what the body really is and how it really works. And, you know, I guess it's kind of people taking power back to themselves. What do you see in the future? I mean, right. That's how it's going to have to go or we're not going to go well. And, and there'll be lots of different, approaches and technologies and sounds and light and food and herbs and all kinds of stuff. You know, let's open it up and see what works because we know the current way doesn't work. It's been my view for a long time that a lot of the healing knowledge and technology that would, that would work has been suppressed and yeah. we're not given access to it. And right. But even, um, even some as simple as what you said then, sound and light, that alone can do wonders. Yeah, no, it, it has for eons, but we don't know about it. So we'll, we'll, we're going to have to figure this out again or or not. I mean, I don't know what's going to happen here. It's hard to know. Well, I wish I could talk longer, but it's been fascinating. Okay. Re, reappraisal of how the body works and what being human is. Thank you. All right, Daniel. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye.